you're actually you're actually forcing me to kind of relive. Yeah, it's, it's a real thing. <laughs> to relive. I, I don't think I've shared some of this, you know, with anyone because, you know. That's why you're on this show. I'll switch that some because you one. because you want to be in my business. That's why. Absolutely. <laughs> I woke up today and said, I want to be in the case business. <laughs> uh, no, I think your story I knew was going to inspire so many people because you're not coming from, you know, a traditional or a typical, I don't want to use the word typical like everybody else. Because right. I understand because I came to this country when I was seven. So I know the relatable that for me. Did you, it's, did it's, you come on the plane or a boat? I, f I actually walked here on water. Jesus, get it? Me and Jesus kind of, please. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Good day, good people. Today is a very painful day. <laughs> I am interviewing or having a conversation with a dear friend of mine that's been a pain in my for the past 20 something years. I sound so depressed at this interview. I don't even know where this is going to go. <laughs> now, nah, we have today, I'm still going to call her Miss Hannah K, but she has these newfound names. And she is a fiance now, so she probably wants me to say Miss Future Cam Campbell. Yes. Campbell, Miss Future Campbell. Yes. The 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 future Miss Campbell. The future Miss Campbell. Nate, yes. I pray for you already. Yes. It's gonna be a long ride. But let's get into it. <laughs> so yeah, so welcome, Hannah Kay. Thank you. Thank you. Hannah also, her new stage name um <laughs> is Hannah. So this is gonna this is gonna my goal for this conversation is to enlighten people, give them some wisdom, and talk about the trial and error in life that you go through as a leader, entrepreneur, whatever title it is, just a you know, and then what does the outcome look like of not giving up? Okay. Through all the processes. So I wanna start from the beginning. Um, the whole where, the hallways of Harding High School? No, we're gonna go even not not that we're far. Start okay. from the jungle of that you're <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going to start from, you know, born and raised where? So, and also, I got I to gotta do this conversation. And if you're like, I don't know nothing about you. Right. <laughs> so I can let other people into our world. Okay. That I do know. So born and raised where? Okay. Born in, uh, in Jamaica. What part of Jamaica? I was born in Kingston, but I was raised in Santa Cruz, St. Elizabeth. Okay. Um, but I came to this country when I was very young, when I was about six so born and partially raised in Jamaica and when I came to so born so you when you say Kingston and St. Elizabeth what's the difference Kingston actually had a hospital <laughs> no. that's, a, that's a real thing no <laughs> there's a difference and you know what I think I may have aged myself <laughs> so there was that. no hospital so in St. <laughs> is, is St. Elizabeth more country? More it, it is. It's more rural. More rural. We're gonna we're gonna use we're gonna say yeah, rural country, country, country right. right? It's more rural. Yes. So what what was it like growing up there? Did you grow up with both parents? Did you grow up with grandma? Did you grow up with like family? I know also island family in these countries is everybody's in the house. Right. It it, it is. It's a village, literally. Right. Yeah. Which you know of. Absolutely. <laughs> Being that you came from a vis a village of your own. Yes. In Haiti. Gotcha. Right. So. 
from what I remember from my childhood, um, I had a very privileged kind of childhood um, for the for the the for the childhood that I had in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. My aunt Valerie, she was a um, she had a successful position at one of the banks. So, um, like, I remember my room being pink. Like, I had a lot of like pink princessy stuff. Um, I remember we had a we had a housekeeper. We had a maid. Um, like I, the good life in the island. The good life in the island. Yes, I, you know sometimes you know when people you know well when you see some of these shots of like the islands being like total poverty, poverty stricken and stuff. That's not the case, you know. Um, you know all the time, but from what I remember, you know we had a beautiful home, um, beautiful yard where we had fruit trees and everything. Um, and as a matter of fact. Patrick Ewing is my grandmother's second cousin. So that's where the height comes from in our family. So my grandmother's maiden name is Ewing. And then she got married and it was Frazier. So the women in our family, the women and most of the men in our family are pretty tall. And that's due to, you know, we had some tall people in the family. So growing up, I, um, I want to say I, I would, I would get in trouble if I got dirty. So I (laughs) didn't, So it was when I it was when I came to the U.S. and became a tomboy. But you could hang out and do right. So when I was in Jamaica, I wasn't running barefoot. I wasn't, you know, nope. I remember having to go to school, put my uniform on as soon as I hit the door. Um, the the maid, well, the helper, her name was Pauline. She would, you know, get me right into the room. We and she would take off my school clothes and put me in like yard clothes, but the yard clothes were like fancy clothes too. So you really couldn't really go out and play like you want. Right. I didn't know how to climb trees. Like, like I can't relate. Um, you know, <laughs> climb trees and stuff. So my, the, the <laughs> you make it seem like I'm just out here climbing trees. But. I mean, I'm just saying it's a skill. Um, <laughs> but um, I, um, I didn't, I wasn't allowed to get dirty in Jamaica. But when we came to the U.S. and being raised, being more Americanized, that's when, you know, we more free to be a kid, a little bit more free to be a kid, you know, to play sports, you know, run in the park, get dirty, ride your bikes over to, you you know, we really rode our bikes like clear across town and our parents had no idea. idea. Trust me. I know that for sure. (laughs) So growing, so when you were, when you guys came up here, did you, was it, so you were brother, sister, who did you come up here with first? So my, uh, so my grandmother was here first mm-hmm. and she paved the way for my mom to come here. My mom actually left us in Jamaica. My mom left That's me nice. when I was three months and she left me with my dad. Um, I don't know what the events were where I left my dad's and went to stay with my aunt. But when. And you're not going to know because one thing about our families, they don't go and tell you why. They right. Do things. Right. So. I do remember, like, I'll never forget that day where my older sister, uh, Tanisha, and I, we, um, you know, we were put on a plane, you know, get to the U.S. And we came up, it, it was cold. It was wintertime. And I don't know who thought it was a good idea to have us. And we, when we were younger, we used to wear, they used to match us like we were twins. Mm-hmm. We came up, we had on shorts with the little How gym. old is she? Older? She's older than you. Not that much older. My sister's uh, three years older than really? me, so... Um, but don't tell her that she swears she's my mother. <laughs> of course, as she should. <laughs> but um, we came up. We had on the jellies, the jelly slippers. Mm-hmm. We had on shorts, 
and we had on, you know, little little tank tops, little shirts, you know, like little girl stuff. And when we landed, there was like white stuff falling from the sky. And we're like, what's that? And the people on the plane, they were like, it's snow. And we were like, oh, my gosh, it's so pretty. It's so pretty. And when the airplane door opened up and that cold hit us, like. Wait, we, you guys came in there with jellies like it was still Like summer. it was summer. Like we like. I don't know who we're, who had the bright I don't, idea. I don't know who dropped the ball. Somebody <laughs> dropped the ball. I'm sending kids. We had no coat, no nothing. We were, and then we're we're in the plane, and the plane is nice and warm, and you see this magical snow swirling around outside. And little do you know? Little did we know. You were walking into a whole blizzard. Listen. <laughs> so, and then did you, so I think for me, because my brother and I came here, but did you go by yourself and you guys had like somebody flying with you or? No, we flew by ourselves. And, yeah, um, and someone, a family member, I believe met us at the airport and, yeah. you know, and drove to Connecticut. And like, I'll always ask my mom this, you know, of like all the places like in, in, <laughs> in the world, like why, why Connecticut? Like, you know, you, you, you've, um. You fly and you you know you come into Florida, Atlanta. These places they're so warm and they're so nice. What, what were you thinking? What were you thinking when you looked at the map that it said Queens? Right. <laughs> was that how you figured it out? Right, like she like she like she followed Prince Hakeem's playbook. Yeah, it was, was like, like I'm a, my Queens. I'm bringing my daughters who are Queens to Queens and hundred percent. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but so then, how was that transition for you? Did you were you like was it an exciting time for you? Was it a fearful time? Like that transitioning that from Jamaica to the U.S. and leaving your father now, or your family down there, coming up to live with your mom was it an exciting time? Was like how did you feel around that time? Um, when I think back, it was just more so like just the little things like um. You guys call hot chocolate hot chocolate here. You know, in Jamaica, we call it tea or chocolate tea or, mm. you know, the, the snacks were different. The It was, it was, a, it was. I, so I, you I, was already looking at this when you were six coming up, those little things, those little details? Yes, yes. Um, they, um, they were just things that we were used to. Simple things back home that we were used to as kids. Like you guys, we call the, you guys call them Cheetos or cheese puffs. We call them trees tricks. Like it's just, mm. you know, the, from what I can remember, I mean, it wasn't horrible, but it was just more so like, well, why they call them that? It's, it's called, right. you know? Um, but yeah, just little things like that. But it was, uh, when we, when we came here, the first school that I went to was Columbus. Mm. Um, and I want to say being six or seven at the time, you, um, kids are just kids at that age. Right. I didn't really start, you know, getting to, getting, um, to the difficult part of being a kid until I was maybe like six, seven eighth grade because I still had my accent and being that I didn't grow up you know in like a poor community the, the way that I speak now I spoke like this when I was five six and seven I enunciated everything so I got made fun of it made I I got you made got fun of it in school yeah and it's like and when you think back it's like what they use, what kids used to make, what kids used to make fun of, what kids used to make fun of 
you know, back then. It's like, well, that was so dumb. You know, you, you know, you make fun of someone that, you know, that enunciates, that speaks clearly, that, you know, speaks concisely. But, you know, being a kid, then you don't understand that. And it was very hurtful. So I got to a point in my younger years and where I, I would have, I would fight because, you know, they would make, kids would make me feel horrible for speaking properly i didn't speak with any slang there was no yo or what or that wasn't in my vocabulary and to it made me feel like something was wrong with me at a younger age so what i used to do was i used to my grandmother god rest her soul in the evenings she used to watch um i forgot which one came on first but um wheel of fortune um uh, jeopardy and then um, Dateline would come on a little bit later. But I would sit in front of them. My grandmother would be sitting on the bed. And, you know, back then, you know, the Caribbean people, their beds are like five miles off the floor. Right, right. Um, yes. And she had the she had the bedspread with the tiger on it. Especially with the biggest headboards in the world. Absolutely. Yes. She, um, I would sit. And sometimes I didn't even think she would know that I was in the room. Because the bed was so high and I was so little. So I'm sitting on the floor and Alex Trebek is, you know, saying, you know, saying these words and I'm mouthing the words with him um, Mm. on Dateline or when I'm watching the the evening news with her, I'm enunciating until I I learned, I call it, I learned to speak American. Mm. So. The dialogue, I mean, dialect, whatever the word is. So. I, um, so going into, you know, high school and so forth, it's like, you know, and it's so crazy that what I got made, got made fun of for in elementary school and high school, people looked, you know, my friends and my teachers looked at it like, oh, wow. It was like a breath of fresh air having, you know, a Mm -hmm. teen, a, a 13, 14 year old coming in and speaking really great proper English to the point where when I would tell someone, Hey, I'm Jamaican. They're like, what? Cause you, and there's people that, you know, when, and back then that was when, for some strange reason, everybody wanted to be Jamaican. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> remember you too, right? You know, but like, remember like back in high school, like nobody wanted to be Haitian, nobody like, but Jamaican was the thing to be, but here it is. I tried so hard to get out of, mm. get out of the mold of that. And, you know, Americans and other kids were like, oh, well, I'm I'm Jamaican, but, 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 you know, right. whatever. Um, so you think you, your sister, you believe, had the same difficulty when she came up also? or I don't think so, because my sister, she was she was always. Um, she was always. A tomboy, so she, you know, and as I said, she, um, you know, she was educated and so forth, but she just, oh, she was a little bit cooler than I was. So she kind of fell right into, you know, the kids that played sports and played street soccer and so forth. I actually didn't get into sports until my freshman year in high school. Um, but from- is it part of your upbringing, you believe, that you didn't really get into the sports side because of, you know, you have to be the prissy girl, girl. Right. So the way how I was brought up, like princess, like don't get dirty. Don't get like I I remember like before I realized how fun it was when I came here, I would sit on the porch and watch her like in the streets, you know, with the boys playing. And I'm like, oh, oh, you're getting dirty. Oh, you're you get cut. Like, you yeah. know, so um, and it wasn't until I got to and um, I don't know if you remember, but. I was at that awkward age where my legs were taller than my body. Like I was, 
Keep going. I'm going to leave that alone. So I was being looked at like this running machine or, you know, so that's when I realized like, oh, like you, you can run, you can, you know, you, you could be an athlete. And it's right. Okay. And, and it was, it was fine. So, um, I kind of forgot what you asked me that made me go off no, on a tangent. No, I, I think for me, it was just like her upbringing, like how did she, was she getting picked on also? Was it just like in, in the whole house? I don't, or? I don't remember that. I just remember her coming and just making friends instantly. She fit in. And, and then for some strange reason, when we were kids, it seemed like our ages were so far apart. Yeah, it was three years. Right. Different. Right, fresh, you're a freshman. She's a senior. Right, she so, she literally treated me like I was like the baby baby sister. And in hindsight, when we're older now, it's like not that much older than me. Like right. you know, um, but yeah, she, I just remember her just just being really popular and you know making friends in the neighborhood and so forth. And I'm just still over here playing with my dolls and stuff. And right, <laughs> right. So then when you so g getting into high school, you said teachers started looking at you know people started recognize you articulating your word and they were started becoming it was more accept uh i guess it was it was more accepting in those environment was there a teacher that took you in to make you feel that it was okay it was just overall over i want to say it was overall but um i remember um my my fifth grade teacher uh mr zeller and that was at Roosevelt School. And then my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. DePass, she made the best snickerdoodle cookies. Um, <laughs> you like snickerdoodle cookies? Yeah, but I didn't have no teacher making me snickerdoodle. Oh, yeah, my please. goodness. Like, yeah, she she would make snickerdoodle cookies, like, every Friday and bring them in. And we, you know, we, we loved them. Yeah, I don't know, because I didn't have that growing up in British. I don't know what schools you went to. Yeah, no. <laughs> But yeah, that's you. That's that's what that's what they I was gonna expect. So I went to Columbus, then left Columbus, went to Curiel for a little while, and then left Curiel and went to um went to Roosevelt. And they make snickerdoodles. They for made you. she made snickerdoodle cookies. Yeah, the kids that I know from Curiel or Columbus, they didn't have snickerdoodles. <laughs> so you had the different life. But. That's where I found out. I didn't know anything about snickerdoodle cookies because back then it was either chocolate chip or oatmeal. And to this day, <laughs> snickerdoodle cookies are my favorite cookies was it like a supporting thing because you they showed you love with that and that's like a comforting thing now i mean i would say no because that means you're saying like i look to food for comfort no i just like the cookie the setup of all <laughs> setup that's not even if you think a man like me is thinking that deep into the cookie you got it all wrong so going into high school being a jamaican girl from jamaica what was that experience like was that where you started learning more about yourself was it like how how smooth a transition was high school for you? Um, I want to say that in high school, I wouldn't say it wasn't that much of a transition because I was I was shy, but I was vocal. At the, the, does that make sense? Like I was, does. I was, I was a little shy, but you're able to talk for your speak up for speak yourself for myself. So I want to say that my I'm going to say no because remember before high school, I was trying to like run away from my Jamaican culture. I actually don't think I, I don't think I fully embraced my Jamaican culture or where I came from until college. And that's like a whole nother story in itself. But remember in like um, elementary school leading up to high school, I was kind of ashamed of, you know, being Caribbean or, you know, um, and then again, in hindsight, you know, when I tell people I'm Jamaican, they look surprised. Like, well, I don't hate you. Like, where's your accent? <laughs> I'm like, well, you haven't made me upset. <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely will hear it then. Yes. Right. So, no, I don't think there was much of a transition because 
being a young girl, I remember trying to distance myself so far from like that culture. And then now when I look about it in hindsight, it's such a beautiful culture. Absolutely. Like I travel, I try to travel to Jamaica like twice a year. It's like, I it's love, everything. I love the culture. So, and then, so going, because I know a little bit more about the high school you went to in the community that we grew up in. So speak a little bit about that, you know, because where you are today was that influence from growing up in Bridgeport, do you believe? Or where did, where did you get your inspiration from? Because the high school that we went to was not the top of, you know, well, you also went to Health Magnet. Yes, we were in the Health Magnet. Yep. Not, not we. I. Yeah. I, right. I you, you, were, were, you were in regular. Like, whoa, 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 you whoa. Were in I, don't, I don't need the detail. You were, um, you were in regular Harding. So, mm -hmm. I, But growing up in Bridgeport, how, speak a little bit about the hardship for people that don't know. Because it's not normal to be where you are and in conversation in our community. So what was the pros and cons of growing into Harden? Um, I want to say that also depends on the individual because Absolutely. you can you can grow up in an environment and choose to adapt that, you know, that mindset and just not grow. Or it just literally depends on the individual. You have to want more for yourself and want more for your family. And um I want to say that in our era of being in high school and so forth, you know, um, I did have teachers that that pushed me, um, you know, Miss Nocerino, um, Mrs. Flynn, um, Dr. Goldstone, you know, it's I could, you know, and forgive me if I if I leave uh, if I leave anyone out. But in my years in high school, it wasn't just a typical, oh, just go to school and you know, get what you need and get out. I think that, um, I think they really planted seeds of, you know, cause, and forgive me if I'm jumping around okay. in the timeline, but no one really, I didn't think beyond high school or college back then. Like I had no, I had no idea of what the world really was. I felt like even though I got a lot, I was still underprepared in a lot of ways. Um, I think I was very sheltered um, in a lot of ways. I think a lot of, a lot of hard truths that I learned, I kind of stumbled <laughs> into them. Um, and again, there's a lot of reflection, you know, being, being the, in the position that I'm in now, being the age that I am, you know, you really reflect back like, Oh wow, this is, you know, this is why I'm getting the I'm getting the explanation for something that happened at 18 or something that I heard when I was 15. You know, um, did the shelter come from your parents? The shelter came from from. Well, I I was raised coming into the country here. Um, I was raised solely by my grandmother because I believe that my mom at the time she was still learning. So her her whole she just worked a lot. She worked a lot. Um so a lot of a lot of what I learned from my, um, you know, coming up was from my grandmother. So I want to say that's why I think I'm still so traditional and still so old school with a lot of things, because a lot of those values are like embedded in me from my grandmother. Um, you and your sister was living with your grandmother or just right. It was me and my sister. Um, um, so it's four girls total. So um, when we came in, when uh, when we came into the country, we were with my mom for a little while and then. I don't know what happened, but we went to spend a weekend with grandma. And then when my mom came to pick us up, we were like, well, we want to stay with grandma. <laughs> we just like never left. 
Um, and then during that time, my uh, my young my sister that comes after me, Antoinette, she was born. And then I guess when she was of age, she just kind of joined the mix. Still <laughs> um, with Grandma also. Right. Um, so I think that um, well, to answer your 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 previous question. It just honestly depends on the individual. And I didn't I didn't have anything figured out. Even even as I said, a lot of my life's lessons came by things that I kind of stumbled on. And I'm very thankful that I didn't have like those really harsh, harsh life um lessons. I mean, I did I had some tough ones, but when you get confronted with 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 issues or or um any type of friction or friction in your life what do you do with them do you do you do you learn from them I try to learn from like you know from I think there's a lesson in everything what do you take from it and I think that's how I choose to live my life that's how I teach my you know my children how to live their lives um there's a lesson and there's a lesson to be learned in everything so a lot of those um principles and morals things you learn comes from your grandmother Uh uh-huh so when in growing up in a home also with sounds like nothing but women mm-hmm. and and the leadership of her grandmother, how did she so her coddling, you think that wasn't you weren't ready to go outside in the real world with that? I didn't say my grandmother coddled me. My grandmother, oh. she was a rough woman. She was like my grandmother was six foot two and she wasn't like a thin she was like a solid six foot two like it like when you watch like these old like black and white movies they call them mammies or whatever my my grandmother was she was you know she was solid and there was no there wasn't no there wasn't any babying or as a matter of fact like I left all that babying stuff in Jamaica you know the the princess treatment I you know when I came to this country so once once the once the um what's word am I looking for? Once the realization uh came to me that the snow that we saw outside, it was only pretty to look at when you're inside and then you you head out into the world. It's like life hit me just like that first wind did, you know. Um, and then it it opened my eyes to you're no longer in Jamaica, like um, who was it like Dorothy, like you're no longer in Kansas City, you know? Um you look around and it, because it was winter, it was dreary. The sky was overcast. There was, you're in New York. Super this, gray. You went from the sunny days in Jamaica <laughs> to gray every day in the Northeast. Right. Um, you know, there was trash. There was, you know, why are there so many people driving on the highway? You know, in Jamaica, they got one road or two little roads. You on the highway where there's three and four lanes and there's traffic and there are people. You know, it, I was, it was a little shell shock. Um, and you're actually, you're actually forcing me to kind of relive. Yeah, it's, it's a real thing. <laughs> to relive. I, I don't think I've shared some of this, you know, with anyone because, you know. That's why you're on this show. That's what's that's Because people. you, because you want to be in my business. That's why. Absolutely. <laughs> I woke up today and said, I want to be in here in the case business. <laughs> uh, no, I think your story I knew was going to inspire so many people because you're not coming from, you know, a traditional or a typical, I don't want to use the word typical like everybody else. Because right. I understand because I came to this country when I was seven. So I know the relatable that. For me, did you, it's, did it's, you come on the plane or a boat? I, f- I actually walked here on water. 
Jesus, get it? Me and Jesus kind of sees. Mm -hmm. So, but I think for me, I think what I'm impressed by is the details of that you remember, like the snow and all these little things. Like, I think your insight and detail is it's impressive. Let me tell you, our mind is, when they say like your mind is a powerful thing, that's real spit. The way how your mind is able to, um, compress or suppress certain memories or or um or project it's it's mind-blowing sometimes once you know when you think about it because as I said a lot of this you know I'm surprised that I remember even some of the details because this was so long ago but your mind and it's as I said it's it's mind-blowing what you can remember or even sometimes you know like a smell, a smell and a or, taste for or, me, or something that can ultimately bring you back. You watch these movies sometimes where, like, someone walks and they smell something, and it bring automatically brings them back to when they were like five. That shit is real. Can no, I curse? Could, can I say that? Oh, okay, it's it's real. So for me, the airplane. I remember coming up when I was seven. Peanut M and M's is a thing for me because I got peanut M Ms when I was in a plane, and I okay. swear to you, every time I eat it, I think about coming on. Come, Eating that on a plane when first time me flying up here. So those little things are super true. But I think for me, the fine detail of the snow and how you felt and all those little things. I right. think I try to block so mm, many things. Right. You know, of what I went through in my transitioning. But I think there's so you said something else. In high school, you really you weren't really prepared for what was coming. Even though you were in a magnet health program. Right. Weren't you guys preparing to be in the health field or Right. So I think a lot of that um, comes from seeing because most people that come in from, you know, the islands, the first thing, you know, their parents like, OK, they're CNAs or they're you know, they nursing homes and so forth. So it wasn't something I think it was something that was just almost automatic. Um, I didn't want to go to Central because I heard like all the stuck up girls went to Central and I wasn't stuck up. My sister was over at Bassick. And remember, I told you she was like a super she literally was a superstar over there um, from track and um and basketball under coach johnson um may he rest in peace so the only place where i could have gone was um and i could have went to tech but they didn't have um they were like a they were like a trade school mm -hmm. and again it was more so like oh well okay when you graduate when you're in the health magnet you can either graduate with your emt certificate or your cna certificate and the reason why i chose the cna program was that you can work right out of high school um so your whereas, stability was important right so as opposed to being an emt you have to wait until you're 21 um so i want to say when <laughs> looking back my path was always healthcare but you know, you learn to to kind of carve out your own path in life. And being that healthcare, being, you know, being a CNA or a nurse or whatever was somewhat of the status quo um, in the Caribbean household. Um, and then when I got to when I got to college and saw that, you know, oh wow, there are different things that you can do, I ultimately kind of ran away from it only to come full circle back to it. So what made you, what, what made you, so now I'm assuming the exposure you got when you went to college, where did you go? When you left high school, did you go right into college or? Yeah, I actually,
actually left early. So we graduated, I think, May 26th. I started I started their their summer program the sec uh the second week in June. I went to um St. Leo College right here in Tampa. Okay. So how was that a trend? Because that's another huge trend from Connecticut to Tampa. Oh my gosh, I got on the plane and I don't re- I don't recall getting on a plane at all during high school. You know, my brain, my my brain is probably just blocking that out. I don't know. But when I got on a plane, (laughs) automatically brought me back to when I was coming here. Yikes. Right. But when, uh, when we landed here in, um, in Tampa, you, you know, you come out and like the sun is shining. It's hot. Like, oh, okay. Jamaica. (laughs) The closest thing, the closest thing to it. Um, Coming here, you know the, the 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 highways were big, but it was so clean. It was like it was like different air. Yeah, it was different. Um, and um, going to college, it was more so like I was. I want to say that I think by like my junior year in high school, I was kind of like, um, you know, love my mom, but she got the hell on my nerves. So it was like, ugh, don't want to go local. I'm gonna try to go as far away from home as possible. Like most people do. <laughs> Right. Um, so I got accepted into St. Leo College and um, that's where I went um, and very, very quickly realized, you know, how real life can get. Um, I remember and I mean, it, it wasn't a walk in the park. My um, my first my first uh, year, actually, actually was my second my second semester. I had to rely on my CNA certificate. I remember, why do I remember this? I remember working at the Royal Oaks nursing home that was like two miles down the road, the 11 to seven shift at night. And then like getting off of there and rolling into like chemistry <laughs> the next wow. morning. Um, so you had to get, a, you had to get a job to take care of yourself. I had to get two jobs. So I worked there and then I also worked at the Abbey Tavern in, Abbey Tavern in Green. It was a restaurant that was um it was it wasn't considered a part of the campus but it was across the street from the campus so i worked a few nights a week there waitressing and i want to say it's um i'm the type of person where i'll do what i have to do uh um you know to make ends meet but if it's not something that i want to do i'm not going to do it for long right so it was only a matter of time before like you know you know, lack of sleep, not being able to study, like, okay, well, you're rolling in from class to work, from work to class. Still find, found time to party in Ybor City. <laughs> but it was like, so one day, so again, when you're in college, you kind of have like every penny counts, every dollar counts. And one of the reasons why I got the job at the restaurant was like, okay, well, when I run out of money on my food card, I could just eat at the restaurant, right? So I'm getting paid. So you're already- <laughs> Right. So I'm not only am I working there getting paid, I could bring home food at the end of the night. Right. But I got tired of that. So what does that mindset come from of just knowing that, you know, that's that's good thinking. You know, right. where does that <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't tell you. It was just more so like, OK, survival. Well, what? Like, OK, I can have more money in my pocket at the end of the week if I'm not spending money on food. The restaurant is right there. Oh, well work it there. right there. Right. So I was saving money on food. And one day I said, you know what? Mm, I don't want their American food. I miss some curry chicken. Right. So I went into um, the community kitchen that was on our floor in the dorm and I made some just a standard pot of curry chicken and white rice. 
the kids on the floor, students on the floor, was like, oh my gosh, that smells so good. So um, I realized that by the time I kind of gave this person some, gave this person some, my pot was empty. And I was, so I, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go make some more. But you know what? I'm charging $5 a plate. So I bought the, you know, um, like the, the Dixie plate, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the <laughs> yep. And instead of cooking, um, a small pot of rice, I made a big pot of rice and then made a big pot of curry chicken. And I started selling plates every Friday out of the dorm. So by the, when I did that, I, I, I said to myself, okay, which job doesn't make sense? The nursing home. So I was able to cut the nursing home, still keep my waitressing job, and I could still eat. Because <laughs> you still got to make sure you get to eat. Right. But I was still, I literally got to the point where I was making four or $500 a day, a night, selling those $5. So I would cook and I would have to like wash up and cook again because, and then the menu expanded um, from curry chicken to fried chicken or brown stew chicken. And this, th- these these um, dishes came from my grandmother used to wake me up at 4 a.m. most mornings to watch her cook because my grandmother used to work the seven to three shift at the nursing home. So she would she would cook dinner and dinner would be ready by the time she left for work. And she, island home, she would have me up half. I remember her popping me on my knuckles sometimes with the spoon because I'm sleeping. <laughs> to come look at her. Girl. To um, No, I no, I'd be up. But then I'd be at the table, like my head nodding, and she'd be pay attention. And you know, that's how that's how I learned, you know, that you need to you need to respect the pot, you need to respect the fire. You know, I learned, you know, that the my grandmother told me that that the pot can tell when you're afraid of it. So you know how you see people they fry chicken, they throw it in there, not realizing. That, and I, I that was a good life lesson in itself because it's like okay, well if you throw something into something hot, the trajectory of that of the item of the meat hitting the pot is only going to bring the bring the oil mm. to you. But if you show that you're not afraid of the pot and you discipline yourself to get as close as you can to the fire and do you know put the put the meat in the Respect pot. The pot. And there you go. So I learned that at a very young age. So you're talking about in high school, you were getting waking up early or was it earlier than that? Earlier than that in elementary. Wow. Like, yeah, I'd be like eight, nine, 10, 11. Up. So do you think that discipline that your grandmother instilled in you that early, it carried you on? Absolutely. Absolutely. Without that, without that discipline, I wouldn't have made it in the, in, um, in the National Guard. <laughs> So, um, funny story behind that. So, um, so remember I told you, so I'm, I'm, um, I'm in college. My, my major is, um, my major is sports medicine and my minor is English. Um, I'm cooking on the weekend. So I, I expanded from Friday to Friday and Saturday. So I'm cooking on Fridays and Saturdays, but I'm also still working three nights at the Abbey Tavern in Green. So I'm out for like a jog and um, this guy, you know, I see him running. We used to, you know, say hi to each other. He stops one day. He said, he said, you're a runner. And I said, yeah, I ran track in high school. And he says, um, you know, you go to St. Leo. I'm like, yeah. He said, how would you like, you know, if, if the military paid for your education? So I don't <laughs> say less. Wait, I got it for me. Wait, so I don't have to cook on the weekends or work at the Abbey Tavern and Grill. What do I have to do? 
<laughs> so you were down there paying for school also yourself? Yeah. Wow. Yep. Impressive. Mm-hmm. So what made you decide, I know you wanted to get away, but you said, I'm going to go travel. I'm, I got accepted in Tampa. I'm going to go and pay for the school myself, work, to pay for the education. That's impressive. Right. So go ahead to the guy in the military. What happens from there? So Sergeant Harl Wigfall. <laughs> the level that of was... remembering names. Right. So... Um, what, are you in your so, your? I'm in my sophomore year in, in college now. At this point, still at Leo. Mm-hmm. And he, um, I don't know. He he really he glamour he really glamorized the military as he should. And um, either way, I was like, okay, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm gonna go to the military. Did you speak to anybody about this at home, or you just? No. No. So at that point, you're on your own <laughs> yeah. in Tampa. Mm-hmm. So you just reporting back home whenever you call to check in. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's your world. I was on my own, yep. So you get a, the guys catch you running. Smart thing. Catch people running like, in February of school. He was a recruiter, yeah. He's definitely smart with doing that. He recruits you. You say, you need to go to the major. What do you do next? Um, I'm going to say that um, I didn't do anything. I... <laughs> So, again, just remembering, you know, and I, again, my first day on base, it was. Wait, wait, give me a little how you got there. He tells you need to join the military. You leave right away? No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> so there's a test. There's a, um, there's a test that you have to take. Um, I forget the name of it. Um, the ASVAB. Um, and depending on how you score, it, um. It, it it takes it dictates your MOS what you know what job you're going to have in the military, so I scored pretty decently, um, but my thing was okay. Well, mm, why do I want to leave college to go do something that where I have to like work extra hard for? So no, I, at that point I kind of started like mm, maybe I really don't want to go into sports medicine. So um, the easiest job there was uh well one of the easiest jobs was well or I thought it was 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 an 88 mic it was transportation mm-hmm. so um that's what I decided to do because I'm like okay I don't want to have to still be in school um focusing on chemistry biology you know anatomy and physiology and got to be in the military worrying about the same thing too so I was like yeah let me just give my mind a break and just do something that's you know not too much is expected of me and school can still get paid for so, but my first day there, my first day in the military reminded me of the day that I got off the plane and that cold air hit me. Mm. <laughs> so. This is, I think you, a book should be basically based on you feeling that cold air. That cold air. That's a real thing. I'm I love write that. a book. It's going to call wind. Be called the wind. cold air. <laughs> so you in the military, the cold air hits you again. What happened? Now, mind you, I chose to go to um, basic and AIT in Missouri. So it was cold. How? <laughs> uh, once again, I didn't. I didn't. Don't ask me. I don't know. I'm going to Missouri. <laughs> um. So for my MOS, that uh, Fort Leonard Wood was the base that specialized in pumping out um, individuals for transportation. So I don't think I had much of a choice. And the site, the, the cycle, the cycle that I decided to go in on because I didn't want it to take too much away from um, college or whatever. So. I think that was the that was more feasible for me. But 
my my first day there, which I found out very quickly that if your drill sergeant knows your name, it's the worst thing in on the planet. <laughs> so um, before I went, I um, I got my hair done. I uh, <laughs> don't don't laugh. Don't laugh. Um, I had got um back then it was the the high ponytail with the bun and like ready. remember the like you could put like the pearls and like oh, the jewelry. You was, you was lit. Mm-hmm. And then I had this the 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 swoop. The swoop baby hair. Okay, right. you was ready. Swoop. Um I had gotten my nails done. They were short though. I got my nails done and um um uh, and what else did I do? Um so I got my. I remember getting my hair and my nails done, and so we're on this cattle truck. So they kind of hit you with like the element of surprise. So they push everybody in cattle trucks, and they, so with the cattle. <laughs> Meanwhile, your hair just got done. My hair just got done, um, and so you don't know where you're going because on the cattle truck there are no windows, and they're they're just the the the, um, the openings at the top to you know let air in. So after a long while, the and like you're you're like crammed in with like dozens of people in these, you know, in the in the cattle truck. So we're in there. So the 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 trucks, the cattle truck stop and you just hear like people like um, the drill sergeants. Well, I didn't know they were at the time. Drill sergeants, they were beating on the doors, oh, making all this noise. And you thinking the whole time <laughs> I just got my hair done. <laughs> I, I, I was like, what's going on? What is going on? And, you know, my little friends that I had thought I had made, like, you were on your own, right? Okay. So they were like, you know, get in formation. They, they open the doors, the double doors, like, get open, get in the formation, formation. I'm like, what's formation? I'm, what's. <laughs> so the whole time that you start thinking about that recruiter that caught you jogging. <laughs> I, let me tell you something. My, he and, and that's a whole nother story within itself. So when you're in basic for the first three to four weeks, there's no outside contact. Um, he did write me a letter, which I didn't like the military doesn't play once it comes to like fraternization. He wasn't frat. He wasn't like coming on to me or anything, but it was real crazy how like an E9 writing a private in basic training. So I got pulled into the office like, who is this person? I was like, that's that's who recruited me and they were, you know, they opened the letter and had me, it was pretty standard, but it was like, okay. Cause it was highly inappropriate. But wow. um, when I did get the opportunity to write him back, I told him about his ass. Like, <laughs> what the fuck was this? Why the hell Why? did you get me? Why? Because so I was, I ran, but I wasn't like a runner runner. So, I mean, and it's one thing if like you're just running at your own pace or like you got your your Walkman on and you just, you Yeah, know. you just got your hair done. <laughs> Listen, so back to the cattle truck. So where um, everyone, and it's, it seemed like everyone there out of 300 people, everybody knew what formation was and where they were supposed you're to the go. the only one that didn't know what formation was. I guarantee, I promise you, like everybody was in formation and I'm just standing there like, so I, I'm i like, there's a target on my back now. Because you don't know for me. I don't know. What, and it's like, when I went to go try to stand beside somebody, it was like, you know, move. Get the hell away from me. <laughs> right? So. Um, me, 
The reason I'm thinking of myself the whole time because I know you and I can only imagine the foolishness you were making these people go through. Listen, so I'll never forget her name, Trill Sergeant Thomas. She zeroed on in on me and she never let up at all. So she comes over. She was like, oh, well, look at what we have here. She was like, I like your hair. And hear me now. I was like, thank you. Shut up. Shut up. Oh, my. You think you about to get a whole compliment <laughs> right now? Yo. She was like. Foolishness. So she was like, um. She was like, oh, you, she's like, you, you, you going out, huh? You got your nails done here. She was like, come here, come here, calling the other drill sergeant guys over. Oh, she got, what's your name? Hannah K. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say. You're not that tough no more. Listen, I was the humblest I have ever been in I my bet. life, okay? The tough guy went right out the window. And I remember after I, like, you just hear him laughing, like, again, that moment brought me to when I was uh, being bullied in mm. high school. Like, I never forgot that. And there was another company that was running by. Like, they were doing a PT. She called one of the drill sergeants over. She was like, I got one for you. You so lost. <laughs> like, he was like, oh, you want me to smoke her? The level of your mind. Listen. When I tell you that I don't even know who that drill sergeant was, but by the time I walked into the barracks, it was maybe like two, three hours later. I didn't like all my nails were jagged. Um, my bun I had left somewhere out on the field. And I didn't even had that much hair back then. So you <laughs> which I used to call them PT ponytails. That little thing you had hanging on the top of you. <laughs> That's all you had to come back, huh? I came back to the barracks and she was waiting for me. And she said, the next time that you come here and you think that you cute, I'm going to show you that you not. So did she, you did you ever find that ponytail? That little bun? I never found it. <laughs> never, never found it. But um, she was like, she was like, um, Go, she was like, go shower. And um, she said, you want, she, what did she say? She says, you're on, you're on fire, fire guard duty. Fire guard duty is, it's like everything is a lesson. So basically, you know, you have to wake up at a certain time in the middle of the night, put your, put your gear on. And basically you're on guard as if like you were on base. So I had to go through all of that and still had to get up like three hours later, put my gear on, Kevlar, everything full, down my boots, everything on. And had to be on. and the thing about it too the drill sergeants they would do things like you know you know set off an alarm do something to make sure that like you were on it on point. you know so i remember getting in the shower and that was the first time i like cried matter of fact before that she um she said to me she was like why don't you just go home she said you don't belong here you don't you don't fit in like we don't do princesses here. She's like, she said some stuff to me and I went into, I went in the shower and I cried. Cause everything hit you. Like I cried, I cried 
because I'm like, what the hell did I get myself into? And I cried at like, who's this woman? Like, I've never had somebody talk to me like that before. Um, in hindsight, she was building me. She was building. She was building me. And um, she never let up on me either. She never let up on me to the point where when I graduated um, out of basic. So in the military, in training, they assign you a, with a battle buddy. Um, partly to teach you um, teamwork. And it also protects um, individuals to say, for instance, like, you know, as a female, I can't go anywhere by myself because I'm unprotected. And it also protected other officers from, you know, from accusations to say, okay, well, this, you know, this, this happened, this happened and it really didn't happen that way. So I had a, I had a battle buddy. Her name was Evans, private Evans. And, um, by the time I graduated, um, basic training out of my company of just a little over 300, 300 individuals, we graduated number one and number two. Strong. You would have never told me. I remember the first time we went out on a run on our, um, you know, for our PT in a run. And when we ran, you, the army cadences, you know, at first running bike, it's stupid. Why we got to sing while we running? Why we got to sing? And it was building your lungs so you can run these distances. Um, So everything that she told me that I couldn't do, not only did I, do it I did it and I surpassed anyone's expectations and that was huge for me what about surpassing your own expectations remember I didn't have that I didn't I didn't set any expectation for myself because this was something this was like foreign territory to me um you just going there to get your college paid for. I just went I just wanted to go get get college paid for that's it like I had no idea that this is what I was signing up for um do I regret it absolutely not so do you believe that that introduction, the basic training, the lady that was hard on you, you think that was also part of your preparation for where you are today? Absolutely. Absolutely. That put a discipline in me. That put a different type of dis- discipline in me. Um, like I said, you know, my grandmother would wake me up at four or five in the morning to learn how to cook and so You forth. already started basic training. Right. From your grandmother. Right. But the military refined it and put structure to it. To this day, I'm still up at 4.35 o'clock in the morning. And um, I still work out at that time because that's my time where I kind of get my mind together. Like when you're up and there's, it seem, and it seems like you're the only person. Like, Best thing. I do it every day. Like you get a sense of peace. There are no kids calling you. There's no, the phone is about ringing. you at that, at that time. Right. So, you know, Every minute counts and being, being a mom, being an entrepreneur, being in a space where everyone needs you for something or another, having that hour to hour and a half time in the morning really sets the tone for you. Like, I mean, I could go a day without it, but like, if I go a couple of days without getting that. Feel disconnected. Yeah. I f- yeah. I'm not me. So and the, so the military that process you went through in the military, mm-hmm. you feeling that it prepared you for where you are right now? How did um, so 
after basic training, what was next for you after that? What did you go, like, what happens after that? Basic training after graduation um, was AIT. So you were. <laughs> What's AIT? I'm not That's where did you go to school again for the next um, several weeks. My training was uh, 12 weeks after. So we did about, uh, we did um, 14 weeks of basic and then had to go back again for like another 12 weeks to learn how to drive trucks and you didn't even learn how to drive trucks like you had to learn how to like break you know no like engine parts and stuff and so you thought once like, again you were escaping going to get something <laughs> I, easy i thought i was like what and then they they teach you how to um you know how to they don't they not only teach you how to drive but you know like when you look and you see like these army convoys and stuff that go on for miles and miles and miles there's like a certain art to it you just don't get in the truck and just start driving behind somebody like (laughs) there's a certain structure to that um and if there's a break in the link if somebody gets a flat if somebody gets a you don't that convoy doesn't move until that missing that link is fixed everybody's good to go you know um again teamwork like that you know, you don't you don't leave your brother behind. You don't leave your sister behind. Um, I was watching. Did you did you see Woman King? So um, when it came out, I I don't like to see the only movies that I like to watch when they come out um, exactly maybe the day of or maybe the day after, like anything Marvel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm a huge Transformers fan, but when Woman King came out, I was like, nah, I wasn't in that much of a rush to, you know, to watch it. But I was like, hmm, I'll get around to it. But then it went to damn DVD so fast. I right. didn't get a chance Things to. Change. So on the plane ride down here, it was available. So I'm watching it. And it, it's, it's real. I want to say it's really comforting to kind of see that that type of mentality, you know, you know, don't leave your brother or sister behind go back you know um like there's like you don't you don't move alone like you have better success if you move with someone or you move you know you bring you bring people along with you so in this in the woman king there was a young girl who she was very defiant you know she she didn't want to marry the old old african guy for 20 20 cows Mm -hmm. (laughs) so the the father just gave her away to to this tribe that were um and the 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 women they were the warriors right and her style of thinking was like i'm not i'm not gonna leave my friend behind but in their training was like worry about yourself you know and i remember on her her last like her her last round of training to like kind of to be a part of that tribe um her friend they were going through some thorns and the friend got stuck and everybody else was going forward and she was the only one that went back right she went back and you know helped the friend and even like the the um her mentor that was grooming her kind of like like went back for her like you know thought she was gonna lose but that kind of built her up to kind of just take off and she just whoop 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 whoop, and she ended up finishing number one um and fast forward to the end of the movie where when her mentor herself she was put in a position where she had the opportunity to escape but she went back to help her but it got her killed um but at but she died knowing that she had the mindset and the heart 
that I'm going to go back to help my sister, even if it kills me. And I think uh, that's kind of what's missing in this day and age. Like, I'm going to help my brother up. I'm going to help my sister up because everybody's out for self. And I don't like that. 100%. It doesn't. It's like. Well, you're not taught that also in the military. Your lifestyle, the things that you've been through from growing up home, your grandmother and going out to the military, you were trained to mm-hmm. support, right. help. Be a helping hand and grow like that. But I want to kind of stay in the military conversation because I I want to see, like, how long did you stay in the military? You know, how? Uh, Nine years. I was National Guard. I'm I'm a weekend warrior. (laughs) I was National Guard. But you know what? That does not take away from the training and so forth or whatever. But So when you started driving these trucks, so you actually. I can drive. I can drive 18 wheelers. I can go get my CDL right now. I know it's hard to believe, but yeah, I can drive. Anything. Nothing's hard to believe when you do it. And you know, as my fiance now, he's like, You're the worst driver in the world. I'm like, You're like I, what? I actually trained for this. And he's like, Yeah, yeah I don't care. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so, and then in that process of in the military, you stayed in, like, where did you stay? Where you stayed? Um. So once you're finished up, you can go back. I went back to Florida. And then when I went, and that's, a, gosh, it's like, okay. Everything I did in my life, I did it with one, did it with a, with something in mind, but it never really worked out that way. So I went with, um, I went with the intentions of paying for school. But when I went to back to school, I realized that everything that I saw out there, I was like, mm, maybe I don't want to finish school. <laughs> you know? Because um, you learn as you go, it sounds like that you've been going, you've been dealing with. Right. So, um, I want to say when I went back to Florida and I came back to Connecticut, my mom was like, well, why you went through all of that? Just I was like, listen, I could always go back to school because I know that my education is going to be covered, you know. But I want to say every year that goes by that I get more successful or do more in business, it's like, mm, do I really need school? Um, I think I may finish just to say that I have that piece of paper. And one of my mentors... Um, Dr. David Johnson, he is, um, he's actually, he's Tom Brady's medical doctor. Well, he was Tom Brady's medical doctor at the time. Um, he became my mentor. I met him at a class that I was taking for concussions some years ago and, um, he became my mentor and he said to me, so Hannah, you're going to be one of the most successful people I have ever met in my life. But he says to me, he says, what I would hate for you is to get to a door that won't open. And he says, we know you can push it down. We know you can kick it down, but it won't open unless you slide that piece of paper underneath the door, which is like, you know, your, mm-hmm. your bachelor's or something. Um, but yeah, other than, other than, other than me going back to just say, Hey, I did it. You know, that would honestly be my only reason for going back to school. So when you came back up, you lived back in Bridgeport? No, I went to Florida. I mean, after Florida, military, Pink. you went back to Florida. How long did you yes. stay in Florida for? Maybe another semester. And so now you decided to come back home, mm-hmm. back to Bridgeport. How was that coming back home? Was it like a sense of a failing or was it a, like, what did you feel when you came back home? No, it was just more so, well, Hannah, what the hell do you want to do? <laughs> like, like, what do you what So do you when wanna... you, so, because it sounded like you didn't know what you wanted to do when you I were didn't... in high school. Even when you got out of college or, you know, went to college, went to the military, 
but you were open to learn. So right. That, that was always important for you. Absolutely. Um, but I came home, <laughs> fell in love. Love is important. <laughs> and um, I want to say, that, see, you know, I, after I had my first, I had my first son, Isaiah, at 24. I want to say that I fell into just the raise your kid, get a job type of, you know, I want to say I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do on, before I was 30. I was just living life. I, you know. Going, I mean, it, it, I don't know. I couldn't call it going with the wind. I think you were constantly trying to learn about yourself in the process of learning about life. Mm-hmm. What's for, so there was nobody pressuring you to do anything? Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like, you'll figure it out. No, I had it. I, I, I even remember calling my mom at, at, at 23 and telling my mom, I like, and I didn't just call her. I called, I was bawling and I called her crying and she was like, Hannah, why are you crying? And I was like, mom, I'm pregnant. She started laughing. I'm like, mom, why are you laughing? She was like, Hannah, she says, you're working. You're living on your own. You have a man that loves you. She says you can go to school. She what? She says you, girl, get off my phone. <laughs> I bet you got it good. You don't realize what you have, right? But again, you know, love my mom to death. But my mom is one of those people that's you know she's pretty satisfied with, with you know with what you give her. Mm-hmm. You know, go to work, mom. You know, right? Because um, where she's from, you know. Yeah, just you know, um, and I adopted that mindset for a little while. That was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm. All right, you know. Wherever it is, I'm good with it. Right. Um, you know, found out quickly that, you know, um, sometimes love doesn't work out the way how you think it's going to. Um uh to break up with my first my first son's father, you know, that hurt a lot. Um and then um not really taking the time to heal, getting involved in another relationship and just trying to compensate for what I, from what I lost. The void that you lost over there. Mm-hmm. And I got pregnant again. This time I was 28. It's 28. And it was like, I mean, I was honestly no different. Like my, at 28, I know people that have four kids already, you know? So, but I really had to like check myself like, okay, well, Hannah, what are you really doing? What do you, what do you, what do you want out of life? And I kind of fell back. Like I, I always wanted to be around my kids. So, and gosh, I never liked people telling me what to do. Like I would listen, but, but no, I, I don't know. Like, no, no, for real. <laughs> I would, I would listen, but I mean, I really didn't want to. So, how can I spend as much time with my kids as possible and not have to be a slave to anyone's hours, right? Do what you did in college. <laughs> Start cooking from home. <laughs> so I started my catering business and I started cooking from home. Um, I had my everyday clients and then I started getting business accounts at People's Bank, um, the the jail over on North Avenue, like... <laughs> Teeny bit like I started hustling as you know what you know right so at the time not only was I cooking every day I I was also catering on the weekend so I was catering like bridal showers I was I was catering weddings I you know um 
And I was literally doing this from my kitchen in, you know, in my apartment. And I remember I catered for a gentleman, um, Thomas Bach out in Milford, uh, millionaire, um, has a huge um, import export shipping company mm-hmm. somewhere in Asia, somewhere. Um, and he said to me one time, he said, you know, what, Hannah, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. But he said, you know, people like me that love your cooking, they're really not going to take you seriously if you don't have like a brick and mortar. Right. So he only said that one time, I think like two months later, I had my own restaurant. Like, mm. <laughs> So I knew at the time I wasn't able to afford like a whole restaurant. So I went half. There was a lady that had a Brazilian restaurant. And I was like, listen. How about you come in? We'll do like a, a Brazilian Jamaican. So even our flag, I remember, we cut a flag in half and stitched it together. So we had the Brazilian Jamaican. <laughs> the creative boy. Um, and she act for, she actually taught me how to make pizza dough. So like Brazilians, they eat a lot of pizza. Never knew that. Didn't know that either. Um, so when she taught me and like she like she would eat my food and I wouldn't really eat their food too much because they eat like a lot of red meat and stuff. But um, when she taught me how to make the pizza, like I would come up with, you know, like how you would do the Ackie and Sawfish? Mm-hmm. I would do Ackie and Sawfish pizza. Wow. Right? That's something because like the the guys that used to come in for breakfast, like they would complain, like they they had to have like the, the heavy food. They didn't have, they couldn't grab nothing and go because in Jamaica, there's really nothing that you really grab and, grab go, and go. yeah. Right? Sawfish. Right. But the the dough that you dip the the ackee and sawfish in is the same dough that you make pizza. Yeah, ackee and sawfish pizza. People would come. The guys they would come in. They would get a box, get two or three slices, and oh wow, <laughs> right. So that went from the ackee and sawfish pizza to the kalaloo pizza. You know, right? Right, right, right. right. And then from the kalaloo pizza to the jerk chicken pizza. <laughs> so you basically were creating a, a Jamaican restaurant with a twist, right? Again, so that 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 going half on that spot allowed me to not pay full rent, full mm-hmm. bill. So I was able to save as well, and that's how I ended up with my with my restaurant. Remember the restaurant that you mm-hmm. made the the um, the menu, mm-hmm. right? So let me let you guys know that. So oh, my my very first restaurant, I called Beethoven. I forgot what the conversation was. He was like, "Send me the menu, whatever." Like a couple weeks later, there was a box and this man, he created my menus, everything, my, my cards. I was like, oh That's my That's what gosh. friends are supposed to do. <laughs> no, I think for me, let me, I could speak on that a little bit. I think for me, it was important. I, I enjoyed, I was definitely excited for a friend from where I'm from doing something in that capacity because I wasn't seeing that, you know, I, uh-huh. most of our friends, you know, they went to, to get a nine to five or, you know, they, some, a lot of people that we thought was going to be super successful went through hardship. Right. So the moment you called me and you told me you, you were doing this and I, and I always had the, you know, my company, I knew I was able to give you a hand up. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a hand out because I know you could do whatever you're going to do. And it was just important for me to me to bring value because I wanted to see success from them. Because at the end of the day, any friend of mine that's doing something, I want to support. I want to bring value to. You so. sure you just didn't want to come get free food? No, because I still <laughs> didn't get no free food. So I don't know what you're talking about. 
No, but I think so going to that restaurant space, because I think what's very interesting for me is you believe in yourself so much that you take chances. Right. So it's like, it's not that you are, you're not, you're not fair. Like you, I don't know if it's not free. Like you're not afraid to take that chance. Mm. And don't ask me where I get that from. That's what I was going to say. Where do you believe you get that from? I don't know. Like, I mean, the, the, the title of your show, Hustler's Testimony, it's like, I'm really a hustler. Like I. It's an action. (laughs) It's a real thing. Really? Right. So. It's like when I think, it's like, I don't know. I'm always just like, I'm, I always feel like, okay, well, you could do this. Like, why not? What's the repercussions? Hmm, eh, just do it, you know? Um, I mean, the identity of everything you're talking about, like I said, you have, you always had to figure it out. You went to college. You had to figure out how you were going to eat. You right. went to, you wanted to pay for your school. You had to figure it out. Your, your, what I see consistently is. Me having to figure shit out. You have to figure shit out. <laughs> But you don't go hide. You don't go tuck in your tail and be like, oh, I'm done. I can't do it. You come outside. Right. That first. And then what keeps on happening is you open that door and that snow. The, right. Every and time. The, and the, and the, the I want to say the reality. The reality. Of, of the, reality the reality of things hits me. So I think the wind, the cold air is a is a metaphor for what actually hits me. Once you get there. Right. So when... Um, so with the restaurant thingy, it was, I mean, and it's not that it wasn't that the restaurant, the people were there. It was, it was more so I didn't plan for like natural disaster. I didn't plan for, <laughs> I didn't plan for like neighborhood, like neighborhood power. I like a, you know, a car accident down the street knocking down. But once again, you have no manual. <laughs> there is no true manual. Now, of course you could get a coach, you get all these other things, but there's no true manual and one thing I said, one thing I'm learning consistently if you're talking about your story, and like I said, you know, I know you, but I never really understood your process. And what I keep on identifying in your process is, it's like it's a good thing you don't know. And I could relate to that. Mm. So I've owned restaurants. I've done things. And I always tell people, if I knew, I might think about it. I right. don't know. But what we do is we go into things because of the hustle who we are. Right. And the survival. Like our our culture, West Indian culture, we're trained to survive. We're right. trained to figure it out. Wherever you, we fall into, right. figure we're going to figure it out. And right. I think our families always done that. And and you, I think that's where you picked up from your grandmother and from your mom and from your father. Like you guys just, hey, I'm, you're going to get sent up to the U.S.? Figure it out. Right. No true, there's no true map of like, oh, when you get here, you're going to talk this right. way. Or da, da, da. Gonna, right. There's no true map in us identifying of who we are. I think now people that are coming into this country can say, hey, oh, I could watch there, a podcast right, right. of a Jamaican girl that came from here, this country when she was six. Right, and, but there wasn't that when, when. And I could get an insight of how she made it. I think right. for me. One thing I appreciate about your story is that you are able to take chances to leave you where you are right now. But I want to talk about something in that I know for me, I want to you to talk a little bit more about the process, how you champion even this. Kobe, you have a special needs son. Right. Is that the proud? I don't know the proper term. So, you know, but you know, dearly. Right. This family we're talking about here. Like, what is that process like? Because once again, you haven't. Was there a roadmap to how to manage that? Oh, no. Like, how do you? How did you figure that out with Kobe? Okay, so um, 
while um, owning and operating the restaurant, I was doing 14, 15, 16 hour days. Sometimes being so tired, like I didn't trust myself to drive home. Mm. I would pull out my air mattress and I would sleep at my restaurant. Real grind. And um, at the time I had a family friend that was staying with me. So she would she'd take care of the kids, you know. So I was only seeing my kids in the morning sometimes, you know, before I leave out to go to the restaurant and maybe late at night when they're in their bed sleep. Um, and then, you know, on Sundays when I'm closed or whatever. But I mean, I wasn't around a lot. And um, they would come and spend a lot of time with me at the restaurant, though. But um, I remember I had gotten... I had gotten the flu. I was really sick. And that's something that like, I almost knock on wood. I never get sick, but your body finds ways to tell you that you need to slow down, take care of yourself. And I was, I was forced to be home for several days. And during that time, being a mom, you always anticipate the needs of your kids. But I remember distinctly just saying, wait, my son hasn't asked me for his his baba. I just give it to him. Or my son, whenever he cries, he just, he's crying, but he doesn't, you know, he won't say mama. He doesn't, those, it was just hitting me over the course of a few days. So I remember calling his pediatrician and, you know, just letting her know. And she was like, okay, make an appointment for him. And she asked me some questions like, hey, He's, you know, it also took him a longer time to walk. Like my first son, Isaiah, he did everything like clockwork, even before clockwork. And being, (laughs) being from the islands, you know, when I mentioned it to my mom, she's like, oh, you know, the second child always moves a little slower than the first. Whatever their remedy was. (laughs) Right. So, but I was, I was concerned. So right, he just turned two and a half when he was diagnosed with autism and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, it wasn't to the, like, I wasn't like, I don't, I don't know what depression is, but I was so guilty because I said to myself, well, Hey, had you been around more, you would have caught it. There was something that you would have caught, you know? So now you beating yourself up on that. I beat myself up literally for about two months. Um, started the whole birth to three pro uh, program, but, you know, I found myself, you know, um, having to reschedule appointments because I had nobody at the restaurant. I had to, you know, um, and I literally, I was a slave to my restaurant. Um, but you know, the crazy thing is, cause I, I can relate. So you went to the restaurant to get more time with your family. Right. You had no time with your family. Right. Yeah. So I literally sat one day and I said to myself, you know, Hannah, you have the ability to open another restaurant at any time. This time you need to dedicate it to your, your, your son, your children, but more so Colby. Cause I, I think I got down to maybe, I think like maybe my last five or 6,000 in the bank. And I asked myself, do you live off of that money for the next few months or do you keep the restaurant open, not knowing if you're going to double it, lose it or whatever, you know? So I said, you know what? I'm closing the restaurant. I need to dedicate my time to my son. And I I closed my restaurant maybe about three months after. And I jumped full. I said to myself, you know what, Hannah? You know what a regular job is. Get a job. Matter of fact, I walked into a dental appointment and walked out with a job. You got to hustle. <laughs> 
I literally you figure it out. I literally walked into that dental office and I walked out with a job and I gave myself five years because <clears throat> when they're two and a half, they give them that they give them that that preliminary diagnosis, but they're still young, you know, so there's another test that they have to take by like eight or nine to really determine whether or not they're truly on the spectrum and you know where they are. So I said to myself, once Colby takes that test, that's when I'll be able to, we'll be able to get a grip on what is what it is that he actually needs. Because it's one thing like, okay, well, they're going to diagnose him with autism. He's going to get the services. And if he does have autism, at least he started the services. But if he doesn't have it, eh, he's no worse for the wear, right? So I said to myself, get a regular job. You're able to bring your kids to school, pick them up after school. You know, you know, you work while they're in school, you know, and so forth. So I was able to, um, I got a gym membership during the time. Because when I had my restaurant, I had also gained like 60 pounds. <laughs> you were tasting the food. Make sure it was correct. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to go um, with that. So, um that's when I started working out and going to the gym. And, you know, when you're in the gym, you're around a plethora of people, professionals and so forth. So um, I was speaking regularly to Jim Gentile. He's now my attorney. <laughs> and um, Sam Wilson, he's my CPA. And those guys, they like we have our we have a whole gym crew um, and we they were while we were talking they were literally, they, they could have been considered billable hours, but we're on the treadmill, you know? So I'm going to figure it out, boy. You will figure it out. So I'm on the, like, I'd be, I'd be on the stair climber talking to Sam. And then when I'm finished, maybe three days out the week, I'm on the treadmill talking to Jen, you know? So I remember, you know, I'm comfortable. I'm working in my job. You know, at this time I started off, I started off supervise. No, I started off as a marketer in one office. Fast forward, maybe three years later, I'm supervising six offices for them. Um, and I actually had a small lawsuit going at the time where I'd hurt my knee, like a slip and fall accident. And I remember talking to Sam, my CPA and saying, Sam, Oh my goodness, I'm going to, you know, once this is all over with, whatever I get, you know, 10,000, 20,000, I am just going to reopen my restaurant. And I'm like, this is, you know, I believe that not every bad thing that happens to you is necessarily a bad thing. Like, I believe that when God blesses you, sometimes the blessing doesn't come wrapped up in a red bow, you know, but you just have to recognize what that blessing is. And I felt that even though I have no cartilage in my, <laughs> in my left knee, um, and it still aches me a little bit when it rains and snows, that was my blessing in disguise. So I remember distinctly one day I was on the, I was on the treadmill talking to Sam and I was like, Sam, it looks like we'll be putting an end to this really soon. I, I made plans for my restaurant where it was going to go. I was like, you know, and he was like, Hannah, I've had your food. It's great. <laughs> It's good. But um, when do you want to make your first million? Do you want to make it in one to three, maybe four years or the standard five to ten, maybe never in restaurant years? I was like, wait, you talking to? <laughs> wait, wait, what do I have to do? And I remember Sam telling me, he said, listen, he said, I have four clients. This is what they're doing. And they don't have half your brain or your intelligence. You can do this with your eyes with your with your eyes closed. I went to his office. And he 
he, you know, gave me a rundown. I didn't even realize that I didn't even tell him that I decided to move forward. And it's like everything was coming full circle to me. At, at that time, he didn't realize that, you know, over the years, I remember working for some of these agencies where they were the ones sending me out, you know, going to work with these clients and so forth. Never, ever thinking like, oh, I could actually own a company or two doing that. So I walked into his office maybe about two months afterwards with a with a manila envelope. And I was like, I did it. He was like, what you did? I said, I started my company. He was like, what company? So he opens, but he was like, oh. And I said, yeah, I'm looking for office space. I said, I'm looking right over, you know, not too far from your office. He was like, oh. Mm. <laughs> and... It came full circle. So I graduated, you know, with my CNA certificate, went to college for a couple of years, um, majoring in sports medicine, only to run away from the field to come full circle. And that's where it all got started. That's where it all got started. And that's that's where I am now. So and there's so many different pieces in that transition um, that I just want to grab. So somebody gave you insight of an industry that you could reach success faster. Right. Was that the first time you really started getting a roadmap? Not even a roadmap, just like, hey, look into this. Right. Because it's not like everything else you just fell into. He reminded me, he said, Hannah, remember, you said that you want more time. He said, he, he said, he actually, he, he looked, he pointed the downsides of the restaurant. He said, do you really want to go back into being away from your boys? Do you really want to go back to being at your restaurant six days a week? 10 plus so hours. You wanted to buy back your time. Right. And um, I could have bought a franchise. I could have, but again, they came with rules. <laughs> you know, like mm, I couldn't do things my way. Like, yeah, I still have oversight, but it's different when you start your own company. And, and I did it. The reason why I started my own company were for two reasons. One, totally didn't like the rules <laughs> didn't like the fact that I would still have a boss kind of sort of right because I'd be following a franchise their model their structure but if I started my own company from scratch I'm able to franchise my company so either way like I'm like I'm never gonna have to have a boss like ever again you know so I don't I don't know if I fully answered your question with regards to Colby well I think so, for me it's just uh, what kind of information I wanted you to share with people with is having a you know a unique a special child child how do you manage that and then the insight you could give people because when you find out what happens from here like so i want to say having a child with special needs like my son he is he's he is he's autistic having a child with special needs has taught me a level of patience that i never knew that i needed for being in the industry that i'm in so I court like nothing in our lives happens by accident. And I think God needed to bless me with a child of this magnitude to prepare me. Cause before, like I have no patience with nothing or anyone I, like, you know, we all have our flaws. We don't get to pick or choose our flaws. And like, I, yeah, I'm always go, go, go. I don't have patience. I don't slow down. I don't, but with him, I have to, I have to do things at his pace. And then when you're dealing with employees and you're dealing with other um you're dealing with other um entities that make your business go everyone's not moving at your pace you understand so having 
a son that moved at his own pace slowed me down to the point where, and, and guess what? I don't get anxiety or I don't get riled up if I see people are moving at a certain pace anymore. I'm able to roll with the punches because I now have inst- I now have a patience that has been instilled with me in me now for over 10 years and it's practiced and it's worked upon every day because oh he tries <laughs> he, he, he tries but I realize that he is he is a special type of individual um and not because he's my son either. Um, it's like, I I pray that I live to see the day where I find out what his thing is. Because everyone, I, whether people choose to realize it or not, everyone has a thing. And because I see that he's very detail-oriented, he has a memory out of this world. But we haven't kind of pieced together what he's good at yet. And I'm like living to see that day because once he figures it out and I hone in on it, oh, you're gonna lock in. We gonna lock yeah. like like a shark locks in yeah, on on their prey. Heavy in the lock in. <laughs> and I think a lot of I have some other friends that have um, you know special need children, and like one um, of a group of people I know that their kid is an artist, mm. and the detail and the drawing and the unbelievable and i and i love seeing his and 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 i connect with him like we always he always hugged me always want to talk to me about things like he's, they are he's, the most loving yeah, they're loving absolutely they're so loving to the point where he's like mommy excuse me i want hug and i better give him his hug absolutely like i bet and he literally makes me like if i come home and i'm wound up one hug from him. and it's like it's like he can tell and this is not like a hug you know like how you hug like girl you know or like you know he's literally he's hugging me and it's like i feel the comfort i yes so he's hugging me for the comfort but he has no idea how much he is comforting me you know it's i feel blessed beyond measure to like yes i get it it can be challenging you know at times but once you realize the immense the, the responsibility that comes when God decided when God chooses you to take care of another individual. And I want to say that not everyone is built to take care of a special needs child. You know? Um, I'm a person that never gives up. I have I'm always figuring out, figuring it out. Um like, I don't take no for an answer. That's the kind of parent that he needs. Like, I'm going to figure it out no matter what it is. I'm going to, I'm not going to accept any diagnosis just because a doctor tells me. I'm going to get a second, third, and fourth opinion. You know, I I honestly, I can't even imagine if Kobe was someone else's child. Like, he was designed for me, you know, and I don't take that lightly at all. I think it's it's impressive because historically what I, like what I hear from you is life prepares you for the next chapter. Absolutely. Often and it's a routine for me what I constantly keep on seeing from you is life hits me, I then get in line whatever I have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no option of what I like to do now. I just get prepared for it and I handle it. 
Right. And you you take that into your business and you take that into life. But then also going into another thing, life punch you in your face real hard. You lost a husband. How was that experience? Boom. <laughs> no, that's some real. I think it's a right. real thing. I, I really want you to share because once again, your story is gonna give insight now, right? Of what happens in the real world. So, um, Wobbs and I, um, he wasn't my husband. Oh, sorry, lost it's, your it's okay. partner. I lost my dad, lost my partner. Um, but it just goes to show you that life, life be life in. <laughs> Life be life. Life be life. And, and whether you're ready for it or not, um, as you said, it was a punch in the face because it happened so suddenly. And, you know, we've we've all experienced loss. Like, you know, I've been to funerals before. I've had, you know, friends, you know, we lost Tammy. We lost, you know, mm-hmm. friends that we grew up with and so forth. Um, but to actually be there as life is slipping away and there's like, there's nothing that you can do. Um, it's different. Was that one of the first moments you realized you weren't in control? Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember, I remember. Um, Please bring her some tissues. <laughs> I remember like after performing CPR and chest compressions <laughs> bringing me back to the healthcare field. Um, I feel like if I didn't have that training, I, it would have been worse, you know. Um, but thank you. when, thank you, realizing that, Hannah, you there's nothing you can do. I literally looked up to the sky and I called And that's out. not normal for you. No. I, you know, listen, I'm... I'm very spiritual. I'm heavy on God. I put God in everything. I start my day off in prayer. I end my day in prayer. Um, I realize that. And even um, Wobbs' passing, it lets me know that, it lets me know how insignificant we are. Like how we're, we're so small compared to how big God is. You know, and it's moments like those where you're just like, like I would have given anything for him to take another breath or even at least to say goodbye. Um, even that has shaped, you know, who I am. You know, this happened almost two years ago. Um, it put a certain. It put a certain level of like, or a certain dose of reality in me that reminded me that we don't have a lot of time when we're any here moment. and at any moment. And, um, even, you know, um, you know, I, I did some therapy. Um, I really think I should do some more, but <laughs> <laughs> just a little hand. I think you might need to do a little bit more. Um, no, I think it's your living but, is therapy also, but, um, it lets me know that like, people really be playing around like like we're here for a long time and he was only 44 it's a little different we don't have a lot of time so we really and it's like his passing let me know that it 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 opened it opened a door to how unprotected my children were 
like, you know, I have, you know, you know, life insurance and so forth, but I also have a special needs son. I didn't realize he needed a different type of coverage. I, you know, so there were things that I, you know, that I wouldn't have known or learned if, if he didn't pass. I feel like. So getting prepared. Get like, I no, I was prepared. I have life insurance. I have, you know, but things like, you know, even like my business account, you can't leave your, you can't leave your business account to anybody. To, to, to anybody. You can't, you can, my you can't have a beneficiary on your business account. Your business has to be put in a special trust <laughs> so that, you know, and none of that was in place. So my business account, like I have a personal account, but most of my money goes to my business account. Lord forbid, if anything would have happened to me, like that money would have been like state's property, you know? And like, I mean, that's not cool. I got two kids, you know, but in everything, there's always a lesson. That's that's your, Matt, that's the title and everything. There's always a lesson. Always a lesson. Um, it taught, you know, Wob's passing showed me how temporary people are, how, you know, how if you love someone and you have the opportunity to tell them that you love them, do it. Um, it let me know like small ignis, you know, and I remember, <laughs> I remember some years ago and I pride myself. I'm like the stone queen. Like I will walk past and you know this, I will ignore you. Like I don't have to speak to you at all. I remember I took such pride one time, maybe I think like four years ago, we had gotten into an argument. It was so stupid. But I walked past him for 11 days and didn't speak to him. You know, we were, didn't speak to him at all. And our mind, again, just sometimes thinking, like when I think about like his passing, it's like I would give anything to have those, oh, 11, those 11 days back. Um. It's not important the the disagreements that we have with each other with our loved ones. Um, it's not important um, that whole you know don't go to bed mad. Um, it's real um, because you don't have to wake up the next morning. Like we're not in control of that. So, so you said you were also giving him CPR and all those things. How do you rebuild from that type of hardship? Like, how do you, like, what's some of the steps that you started doing? Um, how do you keep on building? Like, in what term? Like, what do you mean? Like, my like, personal life? No, like- altogether, personal, like, because you got to look at it. It happened sudden. I think you guys were, however, the, however it happened. I don't want to throw, like, there's nothing like how it happened, but life happens. Right. Now you have to get back to your everyday life. You have children, you have right. life, you have business. Right. But how do you move on? The same way, the same way how I've moved on from everything else that's happened to me. Um, I don't even think I didn't. I didn't even take a day off work. I walked in past that Friday. I went into the office on Monday, and my staff was like, "Why are you here?" And it was my thing. Like, I have to keep working that's your that's your story i have to keep working um and that's helped um so healing is an ongoing thing 
heal I'm still healing. I um even, you know, I've I've been lucky enough and with me still healing, you know, um with me still healing, there's a certain there's a certain hardness to me a little bit. A lot of bit. Carry on. <laughs> but what God knows what we need better than better than we do. And even months after he passed, I just wanted to be left alone. I but with me being left to my thoughts, like you don't even want to know. Like Trust me, I'm a Virgo. I know. <laughs> We overthink we over- going to get a sandwich. You overthink, you um you just kinda like, well, what if? Like I I didn't realize how much I was really driving myself like to a point like like and and no looking at me, you wouldn't be able to tell this at all. And um you know maybe mess up like my makeup. Don't worry, oh, I got more. You got these. more? Don't worry, I got it. Thank you. But um Told you. Looking at me, you would never know. And I just have this thing about, and I think it's most strong women. We have this thing where the world will never know when we're hurting, you know. Um, but you know one thing? Let me speak on that. Because I think I think it's, this is probably the year that strong women need to let their real identity out. Because you guys think the world don't know. Mm-hmm. We see it through you guys all day long. Really? 100%. Especially a guy like me. So you guys keep on creating this image, but you're really hurt. Because once again, I know Hannah Kay. Hannah, this identity that you guys create because you're a strong woman. Mm -hmm. If I didn't know Hannah Kay, I would never talk to Hannah. Oh, really? Because you're a strong businesswoman, aggressive. I'm assertive, not aggressive. Nice, cute. (laughs) Um, but with me knowing that, I think for me, I'm always going to go back to appreciating Hannah Kay because I know the hardship of where she started. And every time she got punched in the face, she gets back up. Her story is like, I'm going to figure it out. I remember the day you called me about I'm doing this restaurant. I wanted to give you more tools to keep on figuring out because that's what you do. That was normal for you. And I told you to mind your business. And clearly it wasn't only mind my business. It was like, figure this out. But call me, give it two weeks, whatever. But I think for me, what I constantly keep on seeing consistently with you and other strong women that I know that's in my life and I know around is you guys create this image and that image doesn't really match often when you go back to who you guys truly are. You know, you're a loving, like the way I see you deal with Kobe, the way I know you have a special needs son, which is an amazing son, is what the world needs from you. But you guys create this image of assertiveness and this and that. And once you guys realize your special power is the way you treat Kobe, you won't impact like you need to. Well, I'm going to, I hear you. Of course you do. But hear me out. It goes super, she's back. Hear me out, right? Uh-huh. The way I told you, the way how I treat Colby, it's a testament to how I treat my employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of disagree with you when you say, like, I don't like, yeah, granted, I'm not on front street, you know, showing people how raw my insides are because I'm hurt um, or I was hurt. 
still hurting some days, um, is I believe in treating people fairly Mm -hmm. um, and treating people well. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though a lot of them, they don't appreciate it. But guess what? It's not for them. It's for me. Because ultimately, I have to give an account when I'm no longer here on this earth. You ever thought some people don't know how to appreciate? Absolutely. Or they don't really... A lot of people just truly don't understand the how to most of the things that they're going through in life. And I don't think... Excuse me. I'm saying for you to soften up or to be this other person that you're not. But I just... I'm hearing the story and what I know and what the world don't know watching this is... The way you treat Kobe is your magic. And that's going to be the magic that's going to take you to a $10 billion company. Right. But I also told you that if if the way how I treat Kobe is indicative of how I treat my staff, then I want to say that I'm halfway there. I, I'm like, not saying you're because- not. I just, I just want to give. <laughs> and I, this is not saying that you're not doing these things or I'm going against what you're doing. It's none of those things. Uh-huh. But I just, I hear in the story and I also watch how you started it's a different energy when you talked about Kobe. It's a different insight. It's a different. I'm a mom. What do you mean? <laughs> no, you're a mom of a great, amazing child that deals with all these extra gifts that God gives him. Right. So watching you get into that part. And just like I said, I know Hannah You know, I don't know. People don't probably not know you the way that I know you personally because we grew up together. Right. And in the business world, like I said, you None of this stuff is negative that I'm saying. I think you've triumphed and you've you've really created something special with your company. And the success that you're having with your companies and where you're coming from, I just believe what I believe your secret sauce is is how you treat Kobe. It's gonna double, triple, ten X. That's a part of it. I won't I won't dispute that. I think it will. But again, um I you know, I'm you know, I'm I love God and you know, I read the Bible, but once it comes to like quoting scripture and stuff like that, I'm the worst. But, I get it. I know, I know what you're saying. But we were put on this earth to be of service to each other. 100%. And, I, and I think a lot of times people forget that, right? You're supposed to love your brother. Be kind to your enemies as well. I mean, as hard as it is sometimes. But, <laughs> you know, whenever you, when you when you own a company and you have employees, your treatment of them determines your success right and my motto that I live by is that I am not just the owner of the company I am the company because before I got employees I had to do their job and because I know what it's like I will never treat them any less than how I would want to be treated and also being in an industry where it's like it's I want to say that it's different when like you're in a tech industry or whatever media when you're in a service industry and like even though it's a company and it's a business I'm making money but you have to look at it I'm creating a way for people to pay their bills and take care of their families like even though some of them may not use their money for that or whatever you know their salaries for that that's that's the premise of of um, of me being an employer, I'm helping to to help people to survive on a daily basis. I am, and not only that, with my employees, the the community of individuals that I affect on a daily basis by me supplying the jobs 
to these people to be able to provide the service. I'm providing a service. I'm in another hand taking care of another set of, you know, God's people that he's created, you know. Um, so, yes, you know, um, some of my success will come from how I, you know, um, you know, the side of you, the, 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 mo- <laughs> the mama bear side, the, the soft side um, of how I deal with my son, but also me being able to recognize that the profession that I've chosen, um, it's not only a profession, it's a service and it's a service. Separates a lot. Right. So I want to say that it's kind of like, um, it's like I have both sides of the spoon because I'm helping my employees, but in turn employing them to provide service to individuals that need that help, that need that assistance, that is also providing a service to God's people. So I believe that as long as I keep that cycle going and I treat my, my, um, my staff, my employees, um, with the respect that they deserve and help them even outside of a salary, that's where my success will come from. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't question it at all. And I think you've proven that. This is what you deal with every day. Um, and the, the superpowers that I'm talking about, I think those are just icing on the top. And you treating your people good every day is always going to become It's going to do what you're doing now, ultimately. So I just want to know before we wrap up, because I think it's been a great conversation. I think people get an insight more of your experience in life and your constant growing. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to see Hannah in the next couple years? You mean besides being on a beach oh, with, gosh, we go. <laughs> with a nice cold margarita? <laughs> yes, that too. Um, I want business and personal. Okay, business. I I want to. Well, I'm in the process now of scaling my business. Um, my my business, it's not, um, I'm not confined to only four walls, right? So just like I mentioned earlier, that I'm able to start my own and, you know, build off of that. That's in the works as well as um, training and coaching for huge um, develop developers that you know that want to do what I'm doing on a bigger scale. That's fine. Pay me to do that all day. That's fine. Um, so and when pers- you say what you're doing, what are you doing? So people that don't know, I think we're talking like everybody knows exactly what you do. <laughs> right. So the the structure that I've created for my agency, say um, I have two locations, one in Bridgeport, one in Stanford, the the structure that I've created. And the funny thing, I didn't realize that these huge companies, they like they pay attention to the smaller companies. And that's one thing that I don't think I'll ever do. Maybe like in the next few years or not, like I'm not going to sell my brand because I know just like how you see how valuable it is. I know how valuable how valuable it is. So I'm going to hold on to it for for a little bit. But um you know, you have these huge developers that are building assisted um, living communities, um, independent living. Um, and if if there's this company that's doing it on this level, what can she do for us? So I have three contracts 
that are going to that are you know coming into fruition for 2024 all the way through 2029 that are <laughs> they're um they're huge and what I will be doing is I will um facilities that are 200 300 um, bed facilities I will be supplying the structure for how they run their facilities based off of my business uh-huh. and that's for the business for personal um I um I want to see myself being um complete I think I am the man that's in my life now is nothing short of just God because he met me at a time where I, um, like I, he should have been running for the hills. <laughs> I think our tills tell him to run every time. Right. He, and he's not, run, Nate, run. Right, and he's not going anywhere. So I Smart know, man. so I know he's supposed to be here. He's not afraid He's not. He's not afraid of me. <laughs> Yo, so many jokes come out of that one. That. Oh, man. No, he's. Um, you need a strong man for a strong woman like right. yourself. He's resilient, but he's also sensitive as well. You know, um, I thank God for him. Um, God knew that I needed someone strong. I I needed someone to protect me because as strong as I am like it feels good knowing Absolutely. that I have someone that you know like how you have um I've heard you know women say oh my husband don't play about me this man he does not play about me That's at all and um he lets be he lets me be me and he's not intimidated by me um I think um well I inspire him and I make him want to be a better person, you know, business-wise, spiritual-wise, you know. Um, it's good balance. Right. So I want to say that, you know, every day is, every you learn something in every day. But where he met me, um, he, um, he made it safe again. He made it safe for me to to be open, you know, to, um, to love because I, you know, I was in a place where like, God, if you can, if you can take the man that I thought I was going to marry, you know, um, and it's, God gave me everything that I needed and I'm not compromising on anything. I don't feel like I'm compromising on it. I mean, he's not perfect. He get the hell on my nerves a lot. <laughs> you get on his nerves also. I just want to let you know if you didn't know. <laughs> just in case you didn't know. That's what, you, that's what y'all was talking about when I wasn't here? Clearly you get on his nerves. I don't got to tell. Nate, I know the pain you but, but no, I'm not compromising on anything. Um, yeah. I have a I have a love and I have a partner who's sure. That's beautiful. And... Yeah, I'm not compromising on anything. Well, Miss Annika, you don't have to compromise. Um, Might have to compromise on my friends, though, in the future. Please get rid of me. I've been trying to get you to get rid of me for over 20-something years. Please get rid of me. Doesn't work, but... No, but I think I want to tell you thank you for sharing your story. Your story will impact many. And I told you you are going to cry. Goodbye.
<laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>